Welcome to Harrison Church. We're glad that you've joined us this week. Join us this coming Sunday, June 17th, for Pastor Shane's last Sunday at the pulpit. There will be a farewell celebration in Hamill Hall after the services. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon that Pastor Shane has called Wasting Our Lives. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am so glad that you are here for worship today. Uh, We are at the now the very end of a four-week series uh, that we have been doing on the Holy Spirit, where we've been asking, like, who is the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures? What role does the Holy Spirit have for us in, the, in our church and in our life? And I hope, if you've been following with us for the last uh, three weeks, that you have learned something uh, and that you have drawn closer to the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, kind of a recap here. I like, I like to do this. So we've talked about three things so far, at least. We could talk about dozens of things. But three things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended like tongues of fire on the disciples. And the, the, the Holy Spirit gave the disciples the gift of what? Does anybody remember? Speech. Yes, one person remembered. <laughs> yes, the Holy Spirit empowered their speech so that they could be verbal witnesses in the world. So they will speak boldly the name of Jesus Christ. We're called to really speak boldly. That's the Holy Spirit working within us. And then the second week, this may be a little bit more convoluted. The second week, we talked about how the Spirit is the great gift giver, that there are gifts inside of you, gifts like wisdom and knowledge, piety, fear of the Lord. All of these gifts really exist to give you the mind of Christ. So the Holy Spirit is at work in you to make you holy, to give you a mind to think like Jesus, to see the world like Jesus. That's, that's important. And of course, last week we weren't in this space. We were in the sanctuary, but it was kind of cool. I enjoyed that. We want to do that every week, but that was fun. And so last week we were all united in one space and all the services. And the thing that we talked about is that the Holy Spirit is at work in all of us to do what? To, to unify us. Like the Spirit is the great unifying power of God to create this one family of Jesus Christ. All right, so today I just simply want to end this series with a very basic question and to give us some time just to think about this. There's nothing really convoluted here or or really incredibly deep, but this is the question I want us to really answer, is how do we experience the Holy Spirit more and more day to day in our lives? How do you experience the Holy Spirit. So, with that question, I'm going to be reading this morning from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of our scripture to kind of help us answer the question, yeah, how do we experience the Holy Spirit? I'll be bouncing around. If you'd like to follow along here on the screens, we're, uh, you're more than uh, welcome to do so. Here's what Paul says. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. Isn't that interesting? Like, imitate God. Um, As beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Then Paul says this, for once you were in darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. But then Paul says this. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
do not get drunk with wine. There goes back while we were singing new wine. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, so how? How? Paul says in this passage that I want us to think about, he says, be imitators of God. We'll get to that. Imitate God. And then he says, but don't get drunk with wine. Did you catch that? But be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what I want us to do for the next few minutes is really think about how, how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit and what does that really mean? Now, before I get to the answer to that question, I, I do want to spend just a couple of minutes on this mention of Paul's about the wine in this lesson. Um, this is where the uh, longtime Methodists and the Baptists get nervous when we talk about wine in church. But here we go. I'm going to do this. Um, you know, a lot of people are very surprised to know that the, the Bible is not this kind of uh, puritanical, teetotal, uh, very abstemious text. It's not that at all. You know, unlike a lot of the old ancient religions, um, and a lot of the ancient religions in the days of the Bible, they saw the material world as being the enemy of a spiritual life. No, we need to get away from material. Ooh, no, we need to be spiritual. The Bible doesn't teach this. Unlike those ancient religions, the Bible actually induces us to enjoy the good gifts of God's creation. You're to enjoy them. Things like food, things like drink, uh, sexual intimacy with your spouse. I mean, all of these in the Bible are goods that God has made, and when used properly, they can actually lead you to the enjoyment of God. And uh, this is really important. So we're not this kind of abstemious, you know, you know, puritanical people at all. So God desires that we delight in his creation. And so this week I spent some time going through the scriptures. And you know, wine appears everywhere. It does. And wine is really supposed to be this image, this symbol of the delight of creation. It's a sign of God's extravagance in the world. And we are to, to delight in the things that God has made. Now think about it. You don't, we don't need wine for survival. All you need is water. But yet, there's a substance called wine that exists. And it's meant to kind of bring you to this, this joy. So this image of wine is throughout the scriptures. The prophets, for instance, you find these images of, of the prophets, and they call the people of Israel God's vineyard. And God is like the vine dresser. God is the wine maker. You know, the prophets like Isaiah especially, you know, they look for a new age. You can read their prophecies, and they look for this new age. It would be the age of the Messiah. And when the Messiah comes, Isaiah says, they will inaugurate this age of abundance. And one of the hallmarks of this age of abundance, Isaiah says, when the Messiah comes, is that it will be marked with the overflowing of wine. And Isaiah, in chapter 25, he says this. He says, in that day, the day of the Messiah, when the Messiah comes, the Lord shall prepare for his people a feast of the best meats, Isaiah says. And then he says, and of the finest wines. Okay? I want you to think real quick about Jesus. Jesus, in John's gospel, calls himself the vine. And who are we? You might remember? 
We are the branches. What's a grapevine? Heard it through the grapevine. He's calling himself that. Think with me also about the very first miracle that Jesus performed in John's gospel. Now, I've referred to this several times. Jesus in John's gospel, his first sign of who he was was when he turned water into wine. And it wasn't just ordinary wine, if you read John chapter 2. This wasn't Boone's Farm. It was, the, the, the attendant said, this is the best wine. This is the choicest wine. Now, why did he do this? Well, this was a clear act in fulfillment of what Isaiah said. And when the Messiah comes, he will give all this abundance, and it will be marked by the abundance of wine. Now, here, here's a thought that I, I've had this week. Think with, this, is, this is interesting to me. How interesting to me that when Jesus began his ministry, he did not turn stones into bread when he was tempted by the devil in the desert. But he did turn water into wine. What's the point? The point is that all of this image of wine is to be an image of joy. Wine is the image of joy. It's the image of delight. Jesus came so that we might have joy, that we might have delight, that we will actually luxuriate in our salvation and just enjoy God's abundance. That's what wine means. And how interesting, we had the Lord's Supper last week. How interesting that Jesus did not give us this meal of bread and water. Could he have? He could have. But instead, it is a meal. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a meal of bread and wine. Or if in the Methodist church, it's juice. But the point is that it's flavorful. This is what salvation is supposed to be. And wine is that hallmark of, of joy and flavorfulness and the goodness and the delight of what God has done. But, okay, the thing is, is that, and I've said this before, the things of this life are so good. The pleasures of this life are so good. That we can become addicted to them. We can misuse them. We can abuse the things of this world. See, and that, that is what sin ultimately is. Sin is nothing more than taking the very good things that God has made, like wine or food or sexual intimacy, taking the good things that God has made and indulging in them just too much. This goes back to our our sermon series on the deadly sins. It's when we just enjoy them too much. See, the church has always taught that the good things, the pleasurable things of this life, like wine, when they're used properly, they can actually lead you to the ultimate good that we seek. And the ultimate good that we seek is God. The problem, though, is that when we start trying to derive our happiness or some kind of satisfaction with created goods like wine, we can get caught up in this cycle, right? And that just leads to frustration. It leads to destruction. It leads to depression. I mean, Paul says, do not be drunk with wine. It's too much. But instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, what Paul is saying is that the true path to joy, the true path to happiness is not in the created stuff. It's in the Creator. It's in the Spirit. And be filled with the Spirit. Wine is a symbol of joy, but we know that if you're filled with wine too much, it doesn't lead to joy anymore. It leads to sorrow. It'll ruin you. It'll lead to the loss of your mind, the loss of your reason when you're filled with it. But yet the Spirit of God, that doesn't lead to sorrow when you're filled with the Spirit. That leads to this lasting joy. And it doesn't lead to the loss of your mind and the loss of your reason. It leads to the enhancement of your mind. You get the mind of Christ. All right, 
So be filled with the Spirit. So what I want us to do for just the next few minutes is, is think about what does that mean? How can you and I be filled with the Spirit? I hope you want to be filled with the Spirit. You want to be filled with the Spirit? I want to be filled with the Spirit. All right, so what do we do? How do we do this? Now, we live in a very consumer-oriented society. We buy things. We're constantly seeing advertising. And when we hear this, be filled with the Spirit, it is very easy for us to think that to be filled with the Spirit means, um, like, I gotta, I've got to possess the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've got to pray, and I've got to take the Holy Spirit into myself. Uh, and that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, is that I have the Holy Spirit. I am taking the Spirit into myself, therefore I am filled. That's kind of how we think of it. That's how I used to think of it, at least. All right, but one of the things that I've been preaching for the last four and a half years is that the Bible always deals in these things that we call paradoxes. Like the, when Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, he was preaching opposite land. And that's what the kingdom of God ultimately is. It is opposite land. That the things that we value in God's kingdom are really the opposite of what God values. And he says things like this. He says that if you are humble, you will be exalted. So in God's kingdom, to be humble is to be exalted. To be poor, Jesus says, in God's kingdom is to be what? Rich. Well, the opposite. Or to be first in this world, Jesus says, means to be what? Last in God's world. But to be last in this world is to be first in God's world. Okay, you see what's going on here? The opposite land. Now we come to this. Now, if you've been with me for the last few years, I've been on this kick. I don't know why. But here's another opposite, a paradox. That to be empty in God's kingdom means to be what? Filled. To be full. Here's the thing. And I can end my sermon right here, but I will give you a few examples. If, in other words, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I hope you do, I hope you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then it means that we are filled with the Spirit just to the extent that we give the Spirit away. That the Holy Spirit will flow into your life just to the degree that the Holy Spirit is doing what? Flowing out of your life. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have to give the Holy Spirit away. Now, I realize that's really abstract sounding. I will get to some kind of example for this. But let me just say this. This is how God's economy works throughout the Bible. This is how it works. This is God's economy. Our economy, how does it work? Well, our economy, our day-to-day -day life is, well, we only get to possess what we keep. Well, that's obvious. You know, if I'm going to keep my shirt, I cannot give it to you. So if I want to possess it, I have to keep it. That's how our economy works. But see, the thing about God's economy is that in God's economy, it's the opposite. That you can only possess what you give away. That you can only keep what you share. That you can only be filled with what you release out of your life. See, that, that is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not taking the Spirit in, it's letting the Spirit out of your life. Let me give you just a, a few biblical examples of this, of how God's economy works. All right, think about the book of Genesis. I refer to this all the time, the story of Adam and Eve. 
Adam and Eve in chapter 3, they want to be like whom? God. They want to think like God. They want the knowledge of God. They want the knowledge of good and evil. Now, there are a lot of great mystics who say that if they would have been patient, God would have eventually given them the knowledge of good and evil. But they couldn't be patient. And so they went to the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did they do with the fruit? They snatched it. They took it to themselves. They had to have it now. They tried to possess that knowledge. And in the, and in the act of possessing, what happened to them? They lost their intimacy with God. You follow me there? I know this is abstract. Here's another example. Think about the story of the prophet Elijah that I preached on. Uh, it's been about a year, year, maybe two years ago. The prophet Elijah goes to this poor widow who has nothing. And Elijah had the chutzpah to say to this poor widow, give me something to eat. Make me some bread. You remember what she said to Elijah? She says, I don't have anything to give you. All I have is a little bit of oil. Just a smattering of flour. I don't even have enough to feed my child. We're going to die. And then Elijah says, take what little you have and make me something to eat. And then she, she did. She poured out what little oil she had, that smattering of flour. But what happened? Do you remember the story? The text says that when she did that, there was no end to her supply of oil. And she had enough flour for all that she needed. See, that, that, that's how God's economy works. She emptied what she had, and yet God filled and replenished it. Think about Jesus. You, know, you think about the multiplications of the loaves. How did Jesus multiply the loaves? What did he take? Well, he took from a child that, was, did, that did what with him? Shared what little he had. All right, that's one. But think also about this parable of the prodigal son. You know that parable? The prodigal son goes to his father. And what does the son demand from his father? Give me my inheritance. Give me what is mine. I want it now. And so he, he grasps it. He, he snatches it. And what happened to the inheritance? was gone. He tried to take for himself. And in the act of taking for himself, he lost it. Think about the woman at the well that we preached on a few weeks ago. She was touched by the grace of God. But what did she have to do immediately following? She had to tell others. She had to speak. It had to come out of her. All right, I'm bogging you down. A couple more examples. Think about the angel Gabriel when he visited Mary in Luke chapter 1. The angel Gabriel says to Mary, Hail Mary, you are the one who is full of grace. But what did it mean for Mary to be full of grace? Well, it meant that she was so desirous, she desired to do God's will so much that she didn't think about herself at all. That she was so empty, in other words. She was so empty of her own preoccupations that there was enough room in her body to bear the Christ in the flesh. Last one. Now think about the child she gave birth to. Jesus. Jesus wasn't just full of grace. Jesus is the fullness of grace. Jesus is the one on whom the Holy Spirit rested throughout his ministry. But what did Jesus' life look like? He gave it away. That's what Jesus' life looked like. He gave it away. He shared what he had. He poured himself out onto the world like wine. He laid down his life for the world. He fellowshiped 
Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus is the one who did not grasp after being divine, but instead this Jesus emptied himself for the world. You see what's going on there? Jesus was the one who is overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And the reason that Jesus was overflowing with the Spirit is because he gave himself away. He loved. He shared his life. He shared his hope. He shared his joy to everyone. That's, that's what being filled with the Holy Spirit means. I mean, who, who is the Holy Spirit? Who did we say the Holy Spirit is a few months ago? I used this concept from St. Augustine from thousands of years ago when he reflected on God that we believe as Christians is three persons, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And St. Augustine said, well, that means from all eternity, the Father loved the Son, and the Son has loved the Father, and the Holy Spirit is the love of the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is the love of God. That is why John can say in the New Testament, God is love. But listen to this. God is love. God demonstrates his love by giving himself away. Does God keep anything to himself? He does not. He pours out himself into the world. And because he pours out his life into the world, God has everything. That is why God is, we could say, the sheer act of joy. In God's life, it is the sheer act of happiness. It is the sheer act of delight. Why? Because he keeps nothing back. That is how you're filled with the Holy Spirit. My friends, the Holy Spirit is the love of God. And that Holy Spirit, we believe, is in you. If you're baptized, the love of God, who is the Holy Spirit, is in you. But for love to be love, what do you have to do with it? You have to give it away. You have to give it away. You cannot keep it to yourself. Otherwise, whoosh, it's gone. But here's the thing. If I, give you, if I have $20 and I give you 10 of my 20, how much money do I have left? I've got 10 bucks. But if I, give, if I share with you my love, what happens? I have more love. The more love I give away, the more love that I have. See, the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is joy. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you have got joy. But how do you make more joy in your life? You have to share it. You have to share the joy in your life. You've got to give all of these things away. You have to give love away. I mean, think about what Paul says in our lesson that we should always, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But then he says, give thanks to God at all times. Now think about the process of giving thanks. You ever just sat in your room or in the car and you're just pouring out your thanks? You ever done that? You ever had that exercise? You should do this. But what's going on in the moment when you are giving thanks to God? Well, in the moments when you are really thankful, you are pouring out your gratitude. You are just saying to God, I am so thankful. You are so wonderful. You are my everything. Look what I have. I am so blessed. But as you are pouring out your thanksgiving, what's happening on the inside of you? God is pouring back in, and you're more thankful. More gratitude comes. Think about what we're doing in worship here today. When we are worshiping at our best, you know what's going on? We're not thinking about ourselves. What is that song that we sing? We pour out our praise. 
We pour out our praise. It's your breath. You know that one? In our lungs, we're pouring out our praise. But when you are really worshiping and you are pouring out your praise, what's going on inside of you? You're coming to life. And more praise pours out. Why? Because that's how the Spirit works. There is a flow. The more spirit you release out of your life, the more God's spirit flows in you and out of you. That is why Jesus says the Holy Spirit is like living water that will well up inside of us. What does living water have to do to be living? It has to flow. It has to move. It has to get out. Here's the point that I want to say to you. I've only got a couple of Sundays left. But here's my point to you. Waste your life. I really wanted to say get wasted, but not on wine, but on the Spirit. But some people said don't say that, even though I just did. (laughs) Waste your life. Waste your, give your life away. I mean, be like that woman who had that alabaster jar of that costly perfume. What did she do with it? She she went to Jesus' feet and she did what with it? She poured it all out. It was costly. But what did the disciples like Judas say when she did that? Oh, what a waste. What a waste. That could have been used for missions. What a waste that was. And you know what? It was a waste. But it was a wastefulness of the best kind. It was a wastefulness of love. She poured out her love. And when she did that, Jesus says, man, what she is doing, that is a beautiful thing. Right? That's what the divine flow looks like. You ever had those moments? Gosh, I hope you have. Those moments when you have left your home, your family for a few minutes, and you've gone on a mission trip, or you've come to the church, or you've gone somewhere and you've served people. And you just gave yourself for that day. You just served others. You didn't think about yourself. You ever had that moment when you did that and you felt like you were more alive at the end of it? Why do you feel more alive? It's because you gave yourself away. And as you were pouring out the Holy Spirit on others, the love of God on others, man, the Spirit was pouring more back into you, bringing you alive. Waste your life. Waste your life in love for others. There's no magic formula here, guys. You don't need to buy a book on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's not a prayer that you need to recite. If you want more joy in your life, share it. You want more love in your life? Give your love away to others. If you're someone who says, I haven't felt the Holy Spirit, I haven't experienced the Holy Spirit in my life enough, what do you do? Share it. Give the Holy Spirit away. Because the more, you, the more you release yourself to others in love, the more God will pour back into you. Let your love be like a fine wine. Let your love for others be like a fine wine poured out in joy. That is why Paul says, and I'm almost done. That is why Paul says, imitate God. Be an imitator of God. Well, how do you imitate God? Well, you imitate the God who poured out everything onto you. And who continues to pour out himself onto you. And the more you pour out onto others, the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the more you try to empty yourself of the Spirit, you can't be stopped. The more you will receive of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Waste your life. Come Holy Spirit. 
And I pray for the people here in this room that they will not try to find a way to take you in. That we will not try to find a way to possess you. Because your spirit cannot be grasped. It cannot be taken. It can only be given away. And I pray that we will give ourselves away. And in giving ourselves away, we will be filled. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit that pours himself out onto us. Amen. Let us stand. And I pray in these moments that as we sing, and I think we're going to sing new wine again. Is that correct, Charles? This new song that we're singing, pour yourself out. Pour yourself out, and I tell you, the Spirit will pour himself back into you. Let us sing. Where there is new wine, there is new power, there is new freedom, and the kingdom is here. Lay down my old flames to carry your Thanks for listening to this podcast. As always, you can find out the latest Harrison happenings online at harrisonchurch.org or you can visit us on our Facebook page. Have a great week.